0: Hi, I'm Eric Chaffin, Senior Pastor of Beach Street First Baptist Church in Texarkana. Welcome to The Upward Call, our weekly Beach Street message cast. If this is your first time to connect with us, we invite you to discover more at www.beachstreetfbc.org. Beachstreetfbc.org. Thanks so much for joining us. We pray that today's message will inspire and challenge you as God speaks to you through His Word. Turn in your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Today's message, Principles for Perceiving God's Plan for People. That's a mouthful. (laughs) Principles for Perceiving God's Plan for People. Yes, I'm a freak when it comes to alliteration. That's why the title has a preponderance of Ps. Principles for Perceiving God's Plan for People. George W. Truett was the pastor of First Baptist Church, Dallas, Texas, from 1897 until 1944, 47 years. Also served a term as the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. One of the most memorable statements Truett ever made was about the will of God when he said, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge. To do the will of God is the greatest achievement. And then he added, The will of God is not always easy, but it is always right. Dr. Truett died in July 1944. At his funeral, he could be seen in his casket where he held an open New Testament in his left hand and the index finger on his right hand actually pointed to Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. Thy will be done. It was really the motto of his life and it really ought to be the motto of our lives too. Now, before we dive into uh, Acts chapter 9, let me give you just a touch of context here. This passage we're about to read, Jesus reveals himself to Saul on the Damascus Road. He also reveals his plans for Saul to a believer named Ananias, both through visions. Now, if you grew up in Sunday school, you you know that Saul had been a very zealous persecutor of the church and uh, suddenly becomes a very passionate disciple of Jesus and was welcomed into the, this new people of God because of the transformation that had occurred in his life. So Acts chapter nine, look at verse three with me if you would. It says, as he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Or as the uh, New King James translation renders that uh, verse, verse 6, it says, He trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The late Adrian Rogers once said that every believer should be walking in 3D spirituality, meaning that your great desire should be to know the will of God. Your great delight should be to do the will of God because your great danger is to refuse the will of God. So what are some of the misconceptions about knowing and doing the will of God that people have? Well, the aforementioned uh, Dr. Adrian Rogers actually came up with six myths with regard to knowing God's will. First of all is the map myth. The map myth is that God's going to give you a detailed roadmap to the future. Now, God is the ultimate long-range planner, but he only gives you details about your future on a need-to-know basis. And right now, you don't need to know them all. In fact, if you think about it, if he were to reveal reveal everything about our future at once, it would probably overwhelm us. Our brains would short circuit. There's the map myth, there's the misery myth. Oh, that if I do the will of God, it's gonna be painful. You know, like like God is some kind of celestial killjoy. Well, no. There's the missionary myth, you know, that God's will is only for certain types of people like pastors or missionaries, but not everybody else. Folks, God has a will and a plan for each and every one of us. And when you think about it, we are all missionaries. We are all ministers of the gospel of Christ. There's also the miracle myth. You know, the uh, the idea that there must be something very dramatic that takes place, something miraculous in order for us to discern God's will. Like, uh, well, like earthquakes with Elijah in First uh, Kings chapter 19. Uh, the burning bush with Moses in Exodus chapter 3. The dewy fleece with Gideon in uh, Judges chapter 6. The miracle myth, there's the missed it myth. Oh, I missed out. Yeah, God had a plan for me when I was young, but I didn't follow him, so really it's too late. Yeah, that's wrong. If you've wasted the years, God can still give you a fresh start. You know, back in the early days of the whole GPS device thing, they had the Garmin and the TomTom. Anytime you made a wrong turn, you remember what it would say? Recalculating. Yeah, God can recalculate. If he placed a call on your life, it is not too late to follow. Or to borrow a thought from Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. So that's the mystic myth. There is the mystery myth. You know, that God's will is supposed to be some sort of mystery, and we're meant to spend our entire lives just trying to sort it all out, trying to discover what it all means. Folks, God wants us to know and to do His will. And so there's a couple of big questions I want us to ask this morning, and the first one we borrow from Saul. First question is, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? Lord? We're very familiar with the, uh, the scripture in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding. and all your ways know Him. He will make your path straight. Now, while God is not going to tell you everything at once, and while that straight path is not always the path of least resistance, there are some principles for us to be able to know how to discern and to do the will of God. Three key thoughts this morning, all right? Typical Baptist preacher stuff. Three three points. Uh, I'm going to skip the poem though, but three points. All right. Number one, guidance is promised. Guidance is promised. The Lord told Saul, who would later become known as Paul, there in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, to get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. God had plans. He's got plans for us. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, Paul writes that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. He's got an ordained plan for us. Psalm 32, eight, I will instruct you and show you the way to go. With my eye on you, I will give you counsel. Isaiah 58, 11, the Lord will guide you continually. See, that promise that was made to Saul, that wasn't intended just for Saul alone. That promise was meant for for us too, for all believers in, in every age. Our sovereign God, who is the blessed controller of all things, is directing our steps as his Holy Spirit guides us. You see, God wants you to know his will. But first of all, it helps to kind of understand how his will works. Three specific things about his will, maybe three categories of God's will. And I'll spare you all the theological jargon. Again, I've alliterated them with the letter P because I'm just a freak about alliteration. I don't know what it is. But the first one, the first P word, prevailing. God's prevailing will. Or you might call it his, his perfect will. This is God's ultimate will, his, his sovereign will, that nothing happens that he doesn't either cause to happen or allow to happen. I mean, even the tiniest blade of grass is under God's control. He's sovereign. And because he's sovereign, before he's, because he's in, in control of all things, nothing can thwart his plans. Okay, nothing we think, nothing we say, nothing we can do can thwart his purposes, purposes for humankind. That's his grand plan. That is his prevailing will uh, will, His plans for humankind. Uh, Proverbs 19:21. "Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail." So that's God's prevailing will. There's also God's permissive will. Now there are some things that the Bible makes very clear that God desires for us, that He wants for us. Uh, 2 Peter 3:9. The Lord is not willing that any should perish. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, for this is God's will, your sanctification. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus Uh, first Timothy 2 8 I desire that men pray these are all things that God wants us to want here's the thing the problem is not is that not everybody desires the things that God desires and because of God's permissive will he's granted us our own free will He's given us the ability to choose, to to make our own choices in life. Choices to receive him, choices to reject him, choices to obey him, choices to disobey him. But he has given us choice. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live revelation 27 17 let the one who is thirsty come let the one who desires take the water of life freely you see god did not create us as mindless automatons who have no free will he gives us the freedom to choose and that all falls under the umbrella of his permissive will then there's god's personal will God's personal will is the personal plan and will that he has for each and every one of us. God has as many plans as there are individuals because God is interested in the individual. In fact, Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, that the very hairs on our heads are numbered. Now, in my case, there's not that many to number anymore, but they're still numbered. The steps of the godly are directed by the Lord, Psalm 37, 23. So God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for everyone's life, a special, specific, personal plan for each one of us. So let me see if I can summarize these three together, okay? It is God's prevailing will that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of our Christ. It is God's permissive will that allows a believer to, to marry an unbeliever, even though being yoked with an unbeliever is against God's word and against His desires for us. And it was God's personal will, His personal plan that brought me and Christy to Texarkana to Beach Street First Baptist Church for this season in our lives. So, we've seen, first of all, that God's God's guidance is is promised. He has a plan for us. Here's the second thing I want you to get this morning. Guidance is provisional. It's provisional. In other words, there's some provisions, some character qualities that have to be, be met before we can really know God's will. First one is this. Openness. Openness. What do you want me to do, Saul said. He's open, not just open to the idea of doing God's will but being open to his direction in doing his will, to his voice, that still small voice, that, that Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God voice. The one that we sometimes have a hard time hearing because we, we have a hard time shutting out the world and, and, and worldly concerns and just stopping to listen. I mean, your quiet time that you have, hopefully you have every day, but your quiet time is not just a time for you to to offer up your own needs and your desires like some sort of wish list for your own personal Santa Claus. I mean, prayer is much more than that. Prayer is communication, and communication is just as much listening as it is speaking. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know the story of of Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3. As a boy, he's living in the temple with the priest Eli. Samuel hears the voice of God three times. And when Eli finally realizes what's happening, what did he tell Samuel to say? He said, speak, for your servant is listening. You've got to be willing to listen. Openness. Openness, uh, not just to hear God's will, but willingness to obey. And that's the second thing. We have openness, we have willingness. Willingness to do God's will. Back in the 90s, you might have remembered this little motion picture with Tom Hanks called Forrest, Forrest Gump. You remember Forrest. One day, Forrest started to run. And you remember from the story, I mean, it didn't have any aim, any direction. Just one day, he thought, hey, I'm gonna start running. No counsel, no plan, just started off running, ran until they got all the way to the coast, and then they just stopped. Some people are like that. I mean, some people often run through life with no direction until life comes to an end. They're just meandering without purpose because they didn't stop and, like Saul, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? and to express an openness to to hear and a willingness to follow. So you've got openness, you've got willingness. There's also meekness. After Saul had met the Lord on the road to Damascus, the Bible says Saul got up from the ground and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. That's in verse eight. It's obvious that this once proud, um, I mean, we could probably even go so far as say arrogant. This once arrogant Pharisee was now very meek in spirit. I mean, he, was, he had been blinded by this encounter. Now, what do we really mean by meek in spirit? I mean, what I'm really talking about here is, is a type of humility, you know, being stripped of our pride, yielding to the leadership and to the strength of the Holy Spirit. Or one way you might describe it is a, a teachable and broken spirit Or as David said in his psalm of confession, Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart. It's kind of like breaking a stallion. You know, once upon a time when, when cowboys would take a wild stallion and break him, they would actually call that making him meek. They didn't cripple the horse. I mean, they wanted him to keep his strength, they wanted him to have his fire and his speed, but they also wanted to be able to put a saddle and a bridle on that stallion. They have to break its will in order to make it teachable. And so that leads me to the next big question we really need to grapple with this morning. Have you allowed God to break your will and to make you teachable? Psalm twenty-five nine says, he leads the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So there's openness, there's Willingness, There's meekness. And, and the fourth one I call yieldedness. I don't even know if that's a real word or not, but we're going to go with it. Yieldedness. It's not enough to just know the will of God. Not enough to hear God. You've got to say, Lord, I am ready. I am ready to do your will. I mean, yieldedness is a determination that I'm going to do God's will. Not trying to fit God into some sort of box of our own making, You know, are forcing him to conform to our will and our wishes. I mean, it's not enough to hear God. We've got to be ready to say, command me, Lord. I am ready to do your will, not mine. Just like Jesus said in in Gethsemane, not my will, but your will be done. Now, when you read this entire narrative of Saul's conversion here in Acts chapter 9, you come to understand it wasn't just Saul who was yielded here. God also directed a guy named Ananias in Damascus to instruct Saul, and when Saul arrives there, Ananias tells him in verse 17, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on that road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, to read this story is to see this proud Pharisee, Saul, now yield to instructions from this little known disciple of jesus this guy ananias that's yieldedness if you're not willing to yield to god's will then why would god even bother to show you his will why even ask if you're not yielded to whatever he's going to reveal it's like imagine several years from now i'm still driving my 2019 kia soul Yes, I drive a hamster mobile, but it's gotten all beat up. It's got, you know, several hundred thousand miles on it. The tires are flat. There's no coolant in the radiator. There's no oil in the crankcase. But I push it up to the neighborhood gas station and say, fill her up. Now, what's going to be the uh, first response? They're going to say, you moron. We haven't had full service in 50 years. Gas it up yourself. (laughs) After that, though, what are they going to say? They're going to say, why? You know, what for? Or to use good Southern grammar, how come? You see, we often say to God, fill me up, God. And his response is, how come? What for? You still haven't yielded to my will. In fact, that was the main point from last week's message. If you remember that the main key to unlocking the filling of the Holy Spirit is submission. Submission submission to the lord's leadership so we've seen that guidance is promised but that guidance is provisional here's the third thing i want you to get guidance is practical okay god reveals his will to us in different ways he speaks to us in different ways different forms for example we see in this passage that we are guided by god's miracles He directed Saul by a miracle. Have you ever been a a recipient of a miracle? I mean, don't don't write it off so quickly. I mean, miracles still happen today. Uh, Read Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Miracles. God can still work that way. There was a young lady in my hometown named Carla Betterton. Lived uh, just a few blocks from our house, actually. Uh, Attended the church where my dad was pastor. And after graduation, she married her high school sweetheart, Mark they go off to college after college um, Mark goes into coaching and the two of them settle in a town called Shawnee Oklahoma sometime after moving there Carla was diagnosed with a brain tumor and surgical removal was prescribed but you see Carla remembered the words of James chapter 5 verse 14 which says is any one of you sick He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so Carla felt led by the Holy Spirit to call on some of the elders of the church. And that night before the surgery was to take place, a group of godly men came to pray over her and lay hands on her. And the next morning, a final scan of her brain was performed. And I cannot begin to imagine, y'all, her doctor's amazement when the scan revealed that her tumor was completely gone. She had experienced the power of God firsthand. Here's the point, church. Just as God can use the miraculous to heal, he can also do it to guide. He did it with Saul on the Damascus Road. Now, let's be honest, that's not God's usual way. And a lot of the stuff that we see in the book of Acts is not normative today. I mean, if, 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 if things like this were normative, we wouldn't call them miracles. They'd be everyday occurrences. That doesn't mean God doesn't still from time to time choose to work that way because He's still in the miracle business. He does still sometimes work in supernatural ways, in visions, in dreams, in miracles. Don't believe me? Get on the internet and Google Muslim visions of Jesus Christ. And you will see example and example after example of Muslims who received a vision of Jesus Christ and came to faith in Christ because of a vision. So sometimes we are guided guided by God's miracles. Sometimes we are guided by God's word. In fact, more often than not, we are guided by God's word. The best place to begin to discern God's will is by diving into his word. And of all the ways God chooses, this is the first and the greatest. So when you're spending time in the Word, pay attention. Pay attention to what the author is saying uh, to his original audience, the point he's trying to get across. Pay attention to the, the timeless principle that you can apply to your own life. In fact, uh, Rick Warren in his, in his book, uh, Bible Study Methods, he came up with a great way of, of devotional Bible reading. He called it the space pets approach to Bible reading. Okay, space pets. What's that all about? <laughs> space pets is actually an acronym, space pets. S, is there a sin to confess? P, is there a promise to claim? A, is there an attitude to change? C, is there a command to obey? E, is there an example to follow? P, is there a prayer to pray? E, is there an error to avoid? T, is there a truth to believe? S, Is there something to praise God for? If you're asking these questions of the text, God is going to speak to you through his word. So start asking these questions. By the way, I said those so fast, I know you can't write them down, but that's okay. Go to the Beach Street First Baptist Church Facebook page. I posted that a couple of days ago, okay? It's there. Start asking these questions and you're going to find that God's will is going to become much, much clearer for you, but understand this church. We should never seek the will of God concerning something that his word has either clearly commanded, and so we already know it's his will, or something that's forbidden. Now, people do that. I mean, I don't know how many morally reprehensible decisions people have made all the while saying, well, God just wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. Holiness comes when we're walking in the center of his will. When we're walking in the center of his will, we're pursuing holiness. There's a natural byproduct of joy. There is fullness of joy when you are in the center of God's will. He wants you to be holy. Joy comes afterwards. Folks, it is futile to try to find his will outside of his word if he says it in his word then it's his will for you okay all those promises in there the promises for provision and for protection and salvation and for wisdom it's all for you that's all his will for you so oftentimes we're guided by God's word sometimes we are guided by God's people Saul's first step in knowing God's will after this Damascus Road experience came through this believer named Ananias who in verse uh, Acts 9, uh, verse 17, laid hands on Saul to restore his sight to him. You see, God often uses other believers as instruments of his will through, through wise counsel, through instruction, through encouragement, <laughs> guidance from a godly Christian brother or sister. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 6 says that you should wage war with sound guidance. Victory comes with many counselors. But remember, if you're getting instruction and encouragement and guidance from a brother or a sister, make sure that that person is walking in the spirit, that they're right with God. And God confirmed to Saul that this guy, Ananias, he was legit. Ananias was of him. And as you seek that person to... Offer wise counsel, God would confirm that to you too, so sometimes we are we 're guided by god 's people sometimes we 're guided by god 's spirit. some people call it the inner witness, the uh, the still small voice, <clears throat> that sense of direction you get when you, you need to make an important decision that 's the Holy Spirit leading us and yes, the Holy Spirit does lead believers Romans chapter eight verse fourteen, Paul writing to to uh, to the Christians at Rome. It says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Led by. Understand this, the Spirit's not going to shove you, okay? He's not going to force you to obey. He guides. And as you continue to walk in His will, what happens is He begins to implant His desires within you. Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But that word give in the Hebrew, nathan, it often is translated as a point or a sign. If I am making God my sole source of delight, if my delight is in Him, He's going to change the way I think. He is going to implant His desires within me. His desires become my desires. In short, God changes your wanter. That's not a real word, but God changes your wanter. He changes your desires. Now church, you're going to meet people from time to time. There's a lot of people in churches today who are just absolutely on fire to do something great for the kingdom of God. And they are so zealous about their faith, but they're not led. I mean, they're too busy serving God to actually listen to the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, church. I am not telling you not to serve. (laughs) Quite the contrary. We need servants here at Beach Street First Baptist Church. We need you to be active in the ministry of the Lord. I'm telling you that when you serve, serve according to the Spirit's leadership. Take time to seek his heart. Say, God, what do you want me to be doing here at Beach Street? How do you want me to serve? What ministry do you have in store for me? And so maybe you know people in the church who are doing everything they can. They serve on the building and grounds committee. They teach a Sunday school class. They drive a church bus. They go with the youth on, uh, on trips to be sponsors for youth camp. I mean, they work in the food pantry. Uh, they change dirty diapers in the church nursery. I mean, well, speaking of dirty diapers, Evangelist Scott Kemp once said some people do and do and do and do and that's all it really is we get so caught up in our works that we don't sit still long enough to actually hear a word from God I mean there's a lot of people active in the church today who have no clue what God is really calling them to do because they just, they haven't stopped to ask. Sorry, God, nope, can't stop to listen to you right now. I am too busy trying to please you, God. (laughs) Stephen McVeigh, a pastor and author, once said, God does not appreciate what he does not initiate. We are led by the Spirit of God. He guides. He doesn't shout. He guides. So remember, that still, small voice of guidance. You really want to please him? Listen. Listen. Trust. And when he tells you what his will for you is, obey. Follow his spirit. Follow his lead as the spirit bears witness with your spirit. All right, let's move on. Here's another thing that guides us. We are guided by God's wisdom. Now, in Saul's case, wasn't long after his conversion before he began to preach Christ in the synagogue. This former hater of Christianity, this guy who had persecuted the church, began to preach with supernatural wisdom. Wisdom that can only come from being filled with the Holy Spirit. Which again goes back to last week's message. I hope you were here for that one because it was a good one if I don't say so myself. No, remember last week we were, we were talking about the importance of being filled with the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 18. Be, pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled with with the Spirit. You want to be wise? Yield control of your life to the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes they have a hard time defining wisdom. What's wisdom? Well, you know, a, a human definition would basically be something like, well, taking the, a knowledge, the knowledge that you amass in this life and using it to make sound choices or something like that. In spiritual terms, it's something much different. It's really seeing life from a God's eye view. It's, it's having the mind of Christ. That's why he renews our minds, uh, Romans 12, uh, verse two, so that we can have a sound mind, so that we can use it to make wise life choices. James chapter one, verse five, James says, now if, and if you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him." So we're guided by God's wisdom. Here's the last one. We are guided by God's providence, his providence. What what do I really mean by that? Basically, I mean this, circumstances. Sometimes God orchestrates the circumstances of our lives in such a way that the choice becomes clear. You see, God is not only the master designer of this universe, he is the architect of our lives. This is the God who watches over the affairs of his people in a providential way. And you see a great example of that right here in Acts chapter 9. A little further down the way there, uh, verses 23 through 25, we find that many of the Jews, when they found out that Saul had converted to Christianity, they were plotting to kill him. And so what happened? He was lowered over the city wall in a basket by some of the other disciples. Now here's this great Saul. I mean, this guy who once upon a time in religious circles had kind of had rock star status, you know, a, a dude who basically possessed the equivalent of three PhDs. And here he is in a basket being dropped over a wall in order to save his life. You could imagine the humility of the whole affair. And yet, It all falls within the providential will of God. God is orchestrating the circumstances of his life in a way that says, Saul, I want you to continue in this ministry, so I'm giving you a way of escape. God speaks to us through circumstance. It was Christmas Day, uh, 2011 you know with with immediate family and extended family and in-laws to consider sometimes it just became hard for the chaffins to orchestrate our travel plans to accommodate everybody this particular year we actually found ourselves driving on christmas day and so we loaded the kids up in the van that morning and as we always did before we began a road trip as a family we prayed together everyone took a hand and we prayed lord please protect us PLEASE ENCAMP ANGELS AROUND OUR VEHICLE TO PROVIDE A SUPERNATURAL SHIELD OF PROTECTION FROM BAD ROADS, FROM DANGEROUS DRIVERS, FROM BAD WEATHER, FROM OUR OWN FATIGUE, FROM MECHANICAL FAILURE. AND WE GOT ON HIGHWAY 82 AND WE STARTED HEADING EAST. AND SOMEWHERE BETWEEN HENRIETTA, TEXAS AND NACONA, TEXAS, WE HAD A PATCH OF BLACK ICE AND WE BEGAN TO SPIN, LOST CONTROL. It all happened so quickly, and we ended up spinning around and moving into the ditch, and then back right up on the road. It was only the hand of God that kept us from rolling that, that van. And as we came to a stop, I put it in park, and I turned around to the kids, and I said, kids, you remember that prayer that we prayed this morning? God just answered that prayer. He was speaking to us through circumstances to say, I am a God who answers Prayers. Listen, church, God is not always going to reveal his will to you with this, this, this big ginormous neon sign that drops out of heaven. You know, with glowing letters that says, do this. He doesn't always make it that obvious. Sometimes he orchestrates the circumstances of our lives in such a way that the choice becomes clear. Maybe he's closing one door because there's another door that's about to open. Something that he's protecting you from because he's got something better for you. He can speak through circumstance. Church, whatever it is, whether it's circumstance, whether it's the word of God, the people of God, God's wisdom, his Holy Spirit's leadership, you know, when, when you get right down to it, all you really need to do is just put a, a, a big overarching name above all of that stuff. And that name is Jesus. Just fall in love with Jesus. And say to Jesus what Saul said to Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? And he may act in different ways to show you what he has in store for you. But I can tell you this. The will of God for your life is found in Jesus. He is the Lord. He is the head of the church, and you should surrender your life to him. Now, before we land the plane here, let me give you three more things, three things to consider about the will of God, three things to remember. First of all, the will of God is for your welfare, okay? Okay. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to do. It's not a curse. It's a blessing. The will of God is for your welfare. Here's the second thing. The will of God will never take you where his power and grace can't enable you or keep you. Man, I don't know how many times in the months leading up to this move to Texarkana, I said, God, I'm not up to the task. I can't do this. And you know what he said? Yeah, you're right, you can. (laughs) But then he reminded me, his Holy Spirit will never take me anywhere that he's not prepared to equip and empower me to do what he's called me to do. The will of God will never take you where his power and grace can't enable or keep you. Here's the third one. The will of God will never force you. It's your choice. Choosing to do the will of God rests solely upon you. But understand, the choices you make, what you become in life, what you are, what you do, it's all the sum of those choices that you make each and every day, which is why it's so important for us to choose in accordance with His will, to be walking in 3D spirituality that your great desire should be to know the will of God. Your great delight should be to do the will of God because your great danger is to refuse the will of God. There's a lot of Christians today that just need to ask, Lord, what do you want me to do? There was a lot of meandering in my life as as a younger man, a lot of uncertainty about what I was supposed to do with my life, and you know why? because I didn't take the time to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. And so, Lord, what you want me to do really is not that relevant of a question to you. Maybe for you, the question that you've been grappling with for so long is not, Lord, what do you want me to do, but what does God want from me? Well, you know what, the answer to that question is much simpler than you might realize. What does God want from you? He wants you. He wants you. He wants you for His own. He wants you to be in relationship with Him, in fellowship with Him. He created you for that. But it's your choice. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you'd like to have a personal relationship with God, it's pretty simple. It's repent, believe, and receive. We acknowledge that we're all sinners who fall short, and we repent. That word means to change your mind about the way you've been living. Then you choose to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for you, and you receive by faith God's gift of forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. If you don't have a church home, we'd love to have you join us at Beach Street. Small group Bible study begins at 9.30 on Sundays, followed by worship at 10.45. There's a midweek Bible study on Wednesdays at six. You'll find us at the corner of 6th and Beach Street in downtown Texarkana. And for more info, visit our website at beachstreetfbc.org.